Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Connor Bromley, and I am joined today by Ned Keating to talk about all the latest transfer news and we've got to start today with Manchester United. They are looking to shift on some defenders in the main, but uh, also rumours of Fred as well in midfield. But Alex Tellers, Eric Bailly, um, Brandon Williams and Harry Maguire all on the chopping block, apparently. Is that going to, A, give Man United plenty of resources in terms of money, but B, will it mean that they can spend and improve that defence? I don't know about spending and improving that defence. I think it's obviously, you look at, you know, three of those players at least were on loan last year, so they weren't really there already. Um, so, and, and they coped well enough without, and you'd say, with, without Tellers, without uh, Bay, without Brandon Williams. Actually, Brandon Williams was there, wasn't he? He was just in the reserve. Sorry, it was the year before that he was on loan at Norwich. But anyway, Brandon Williams didn't get a look in pretty much. Um, and, and Harry Maguire was spending much of the time on the bench. So in terms of replacing them I don't you know they did well without them they didn't have to call on them they weren't needed so I think they'll be okay in that respect um in terms of the money you know what are we probably talking they'll probably be lucky to get about 60 million for for the four of them all in um, I mean look, that's still 60 million in the bank for Manchester United still 60 million um that they'd probably rather want than someone else having at this stage and whatnot um so again you know I'm sure they greatly received that bounty uh, in any way that they can um and again, I think that this is the stage and I think this is where Man United are this summer just in general in that, yes, they want to add players, yes, they want to bring in players, but I think it's crucial as well that, that they start moving on. I don't really use the term Deadwood because obviously that's a little bit disrespectful to some players, but Eric Ten Hag's been there a year now. He knows what he wants. He knows the players that fit into his system. He knows the players that he can trust um, to, to play the style of football that he wants to play. And those that are on, you know, at Manchester United, there's a lot of players that are on sizable wages. You know, you're not going to be um, you know, spending little on on you know even on the likes of buy on tennis on on Harry Maguire, they're going to be on on sizable wage packets as well, um, and they're just sitting on the sidelines sometimes, not even in the match day squad. You know, um, so you want to move them on for that respect to free up a bit of money in the wage budget, um, as well as obviously you know bringing in extra extra revenue by selling them on as well. But but this is that summer for Manchester United having a look at the players that don't necessarily fit into their long term plans haven't. Uh, fit in with Eric Ten Hag's style of play and, and, and moving them on as well. 
why do you think it's not worked for Harry Maguire at Manchester United? Because obviously he came with a you know a big reputation from Leicester. He did very very well there. He's been an important player for England. You know he's been a pretty much a mainstay in Gareth Southgate's team and done pretty well. I don't think for England he's really put a foot wrong in general. But Manchester United, it just seems. You know, it hasn't worked. I mean, he's been a, a victim of meme culture as well <laughs> at Manchester United. You know, he's been almost the the scapegoat, it feels like to me. I think it's the weight of two things that have weighed quite heavy on him uh, for, for poor old Harry Maguire is that the fee itself when he first arrived was was hefty, um, was massive. Um, and that puts immediate pressure on him because then, you know, you've got people going, oh, is he justifying that fee? And, and again, how do you quantify you know, 80 million on a defender, okay, is clean sheets. That's what they're trading in as well. But, you know, and, and but it becomes that hard thing because, you know, if you're scoring goals week in, week out, you know, you might be keeping clean sheets as well, but you don't get that same kind of recognition and greatness. So then that kind of becomes, you know, after a few months, it starts to become harder. I mean, again, you know, the, the, the first few months that you had at Man United were a bit difficult. Clean sheets were at times hard to come by. Um, so again, obviously that didn't help, but I think the fee and the size of it wasn't, wasn't ideal first up. Um, and to be named captain within six months, um, you know, when Ashley Young left to, to join into Milan, he, he takes over the captaincy. And the pressure of that, again, probably weighed quite heavy on him. And it was a, str- a, a strange move um, at the time because, you know, first and foremost, he'd been there six months. There's players in this dressing room, you know, David Dyer had been there nearly 10 years at this point, mainstay in that Manchester United side, um, had, you know, been given the armband you know, on times in matches when, you know, the regular captain wasn't there. He was a senior player in that squad, quite why he wasn't looked at for, for that position. I know it's, you know, sometimes you do look at goalkeepers and you kind of wonder, can they be good captains from that far back on the pitch? But, you know, in recent years, we've seen Ica Casillas uh, lift the World Cup with Spain. We've seen Hugo Lloris lift the World Cup with France as well as, as goalkeeping captains. So, you know, it's not as, as bad a decision as maybe it once was looked upon, you know, kind of similar in cricket now where you've got fast bowling captains as well. You wouldn't have had that 20 years ago. Um, so to put the captaincy on Maguire when he's still trying to find his feet at a club in the dressing room, adjust to everything else that comes with it, a new city. Um, I think that put undue pressure on him as well. And then he kind of has to step up and, and, you know, kind of, we've seen examples in the past that there are some players that, that not necessarily crumble, but that, that weight of, of captaincy does weigh heavy on them. Um, and I think that was it for Maguire and for those two things to occur, you know, the fee obviously, and, and the captaincy to occur within the first six months you know, it kind of puts him under more spotlight. And I think it was always going to be difficult to recover from them. Um, and the fact that obviously last year as well, he's not necessarily the centre-half that Eric Ten Hag wants and the two centre-halves, you know, Rafael Varane and, and Lissandra Martinez, the levels above him, um, haven't haven't helped that either so that he's not a guaranteed first-team starter. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think the captaincy and, and the fear of what have contributed to Harry Maguire not being the success that he would have otherwise wanted to be at Manchester United. So two-pronged question this. Uh, we did talk a little bit about England with Harry Maguire, but do you think that Maguire needs a move in the next year if he's going to be part of, you know, maybe he'd be in the England squad, but be a regular in that England team leading into Euro 2024? But also on top of that, where is a good fit for Harry Maguire? You know, presumably in the Premier League. I don't I don't see him moving abroad. Do you think there's any teams that are, are really desperate for a player like him? Yeah, it's it's tough to say because you kind of um, the answer I'm going to give to the first part will then make the second answer that I'm going to give quite funny. But you look at other players in the Premier League, other centre halves at the minute, and 
Gareth Southgate hasn't got, you know, those that are performing at the top, top level week in, week out. He hasn't got many to pick from, you know. You go through Arsenal and, and the only centre-half, the only English centre-half that they've got, they've been playing at right back. So KD Shaw to call upon him. And, and again, you know, kind of um, what happened in Qatar still kind of hangs a, hangs a bit of a cloud over Ben White in that respect. You go for Liverpool and the only English centre-half they've got is in and out of the side in Joe Gomez. So he's not going to be regular. I mean, you know, we saw it a few years back and, and you know, he looked like he could have been an England starter, but injuries have hampered him. Again, you go to Chelsea and there's not many English centre-halves in that team. You go to Tottenham and it's Eric Dyer and Eric Dyer, there's talk about him being replaced this summer as well. So you go around all those, you know, perceived bigger clubs, which, uh, you know, Gareth Southgate has had a history of, of shopping in and you kind of, or picking his squads from, sorry, rather than shopping in. Um, and there isn't any standout candidates that you go, he's going to take Harry Maguire's place in the England squad. The only one that you probably look at and, and say could do that is maybe Mark Gay um, or, or Tyrone Minks if he has a good season for Aston Villa in the, uh, in the Europa Conference League. So that perhaps means that Harry Maguire is in a, not a comfortable position in the England squad. The fact as well that he's never let Gareth Southgate down is going to, is going to benefit him keeping that, that spot in the England squad as well. He trusts him. We've seen Gareth Southgate, he, when he trusts a player, he will play him and it doesn't matter whether or not he's playing week in, week out. But where could he end up? And the funny thing is, is that I've gone through it now and I'm like, well, you know, they don't have this English centre-half or that English centre-half, but where does he go? Who needs him? Um, you know, maybe Tottenham, but would they be willing to take that risk and, and pay the money that Manchester United want for him? Um, I don't know. You know, they're looking at, you know, it looks like Spurs are looking younger in terms of their centre-half targets this summer. So so that looks to be off. Um, you know, would he go to Newcastle? No, they've got two good centre-halves there already. Why would he Why would he need to go? Why would Newcastle need him? Um, yes, he's got Champions League experience, but I think the two centre-halves that they've got there have a good partnership and to rock something like that, it wouldn't make sense. So you start going through it and then you end up at, at clubs like, and again, this isn't any disrespect to them, but clubs like, you know, perhaps Fulham, which we, he has been linked with, but, you know, Gareth Southgate doesn't pick English players that are playing for Fulham, does he? You know, he doesn't, if you're not playing for someone who's doing you know, catching the line like in the Premier League, someone that kind of goes under the radar, Gareth Southgate doesn't seem to pick those players, even if they are doing well, you know, kind of there's a few players at Fulham that the English players, you know, that maybe thought they could have broken into the England squad this year that didn't. Um, and so that might be an issue for Harry Maguire going there. Will, will we get the same, you know, will Gareth Southgate give him the same looks? Um, it's, it's a tough summer for Harry Maguire. Um, but I think for his career and where he needs to go, yes, he does need to move on. It's, but the funny thing is, is that I don't think it would harm his England chances if he didn't. And, and you know, is that a bad reflection on Southgate? We'll, we'll see this time next year. We've got a, a viewer question in here about Moses Casillero. Brighton have put a £100 million price tag on the midfielder, but they're also reportedly expecting him to leave. So is this the summer transfer saga that we thought Declan Rice might be? It's, it's just a super transfer saga full stop. We had it in January. Will he, won't he? And he stayed in the end and after putting in the transfer request and got back into the Brighton squad. The Brighton are no mugs here. You know, of course, they're going to put a, a nice price tag uh, on him. You know, it's like when you're selling the house, isn't it? You know, you kind of, the value is a little bit, sometimes, you know, of course, you do see some listings that say offer in excess of or, you know, that kind of thing. But normally you see a house go on, it will be for, you know, say, you know, being in London, I'm going to have to say the guts are about 450 here, aren't they? Other parts of the country, you can get a hell of a lot more for a lot cheaper. But it'll go on for, say, 450. But you won't get 450 for it. You'll have like a cheaper, you know, you, you won't get your asking price in some circumstances. You'll maybe get an offer of 430, for example. 
Um, and then you might accept that. You do a deal somewhere in the middle and everyone's happy. And again, likewise here, you know, Brighton are, are no mugs when it comes to transfers. They're making sure that they're going to get the best deal for them. Um, if they put a price tag of 100 million on him, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to hold out for 100 million and only accept 100 million. Um, but it, it kind of shows that that is, you know, kind of where we're fishing. We're not going to accept, you know, silly offers of 50 million or whatever. But if you start getting upwards towards 100 million, then we can start talking and we can start having a conversation. Um, so for their point of view, that that's the reason why it helps in, you know, kind of helps their hand when it comes to transfer negotiations. I think, you know, if it was a lower price or or whatever, then of course, you know, it kind of allows clubs to maybe lowball them that little bit more. But where it's, it's 100 million, then you kind of, at least then you can probably start talking around the 80 million mark and, and you kind of guarantee yourself a really good turn. Do you think, you know, the money that's spent on Enzo Fernandez in January, or Brighton looked at that going, well, you paid that much for him and this guy's proven in the Premier League. So we should be getting that level of fee. Do you think that's playing into their thinking? Possibly, but then Enzo Fernandez does have a World Cup best young player in his cabinet and Moise Caicedo doesn't. Um, so does that carry more weight than, than kind of whether or not someone is a, a Premier League proven? I don't know. But look, the market's gone up. We know that. You know, what was 30 million, you know, five, 10 years ago is probably 60, 70 million now. You know, you probably have to, what the fees that you were paying, you know, a few years back, you probably have to double. Um, you know, 50 million is now easy or 100 million. So this is the, the market that we're talking in. Is Moise Caicedo a 30, 40 million pound player from five, 10 years ago. Yes. So, you know, these fees in these markets, it's just the fact that football clubs are now spending big fees, more fees, bigger fees than before. There's more money floating around football. So kind of they have their own form of inflation um, that, has, that has prompted these fees to go up. Um, and yeah, you're right. You know, he is Premier League proven. That does add, uh, you know, shall we say a bit of a tax to it, maybe. Um, and you know, maybe Brighton are now looking closer towards 90 million because again, he's, he's shown his worth in the Premier League already. Um, but yeah, as I said before, you know, they're shrewd operators. They know what they're doing. They've done it time and again that they'll bring these players in on, on uh, you know, from pluck them from somewhere, turn them into gems, pluck them on a low fee and then sell them high. Uh, and it's a, it's a transfer model that, that's working wonders for them. You look at that Chelsea midfield, it's been pretty decimated. I mean, we talk about how big the Chelsea squad is, but actually that central midfield area, they've lost Matteo Kovacic, N'Golo Kante, Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. So it's an area which, you know, Pochettino really needs to address, isn't it? I mean, what do you make of the state of, of Chelsea's central midfield at the moment? Work to do, for sure. Because um, as you said there, you know, they've not got many uh, many options in, in that midfield position. You know, you're looking at, as you said, they kind of probably ends up Fernandez by himself at this rate, isn't it? Um, you know, to lose players like Kante and Kovacic, you know, kind of uh, players that have been around that Chelsea squad for a long time. Uh, Loftus-Cheek and Mount as well to Academy products to lose them. You know, kind of who steps in, who fills, who fills that void? You know, yes, you've still got Colin Gallagher there. Um, but other than that, who, who else is there? You know, and that's the that's the issue. You know, yes, they've got Chesterbeck Casadai who was on loan last season at Reading, but is he good enough to step up? Is he ready to step up? Um, so yeah, that 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 midfield area probably more so than anywhere else for Chelsea at the minute needs work. You know, you look at that. Yeah, you look at their their roster at the minute, and it really is just Enzo Fernandez and and uh, Conor Gallagher that have the capability of playing central midfield week in week out. Is that the central midfield that Chelsea wants to start the season with? It isn't. So yeah, lots of it sounds so weird and so bizarre with Chelsea because they've spent so much, brought so many players in, but they've still got plenty of work to do in, in kind of moulding this squad and plenty more money, unfortunately, for the for the board to have to spend 
Yeah, and Conor Gallagher has been heavily linked to the move elsewhere, so they might not even have him. So just going to take a brief stop now just to mention two uh, a new podcast that we have. Um, one about influencer boxing with our mirror fighting team and the other on the rise of Conor McGregor. So, you know, check out our platforms and you'll see that coming in the coming weeks. Back to the regular programming. We'll, we'll jump to Granite Xhaka. He's finally left Arsenal. It feels like a player that is continually being linked with a move away from the Emirates and he's had a renaissance under Mikel Arteta. I mean, do you remember when he was booed off, um, you know, and threw his captain's arm by the floor? It felt like there was no coming back from that, but he, he's he's made sure he's stuck about for the last few years since then. Um, 21.4 million pounds, a player that's, you know, passed over the age of 30. Do you think that's good business for Arsenal? Harsh on us over 30s. He's only, he only, I think he is only 30, isn't he? He's the same age as myself as well. We're not, yes, we're over 30, but we're, you know, we're not, we're not all heading for the retirement ground just yet, I hope. Um, but yeah, I, well, I mean, he probably had his best season for Arsenal last year and they can only get 21 million for him. Um, you know, yes, of course, his contract was winded down. So maybe, you know, that was it. And, and he was close to leaving previously as well. He enjoyed Jose Mourinho at Roma. Um, so yeah, he had been looking to leave Arsenal. Um, so I suppose in that respect, for a player that's looking to leave, any money that you do get for them uh, is good money. Um, obviously, offsets you know tries to offset a little bit of the the hundred and five million that they're going to spend on Declan Rice, and probably taking that down to you know closer to eighty eighty five million instead. So in terms of of kind of you know bringing in a bit of money, that's definitely helpful for them. Um, but you just kind of wonder, um, and, and and we'll probably touch on this in a little bit more in a second, just to how like it might leave them in midfield as well. Um, I know obviously they're bringing in Declan Rice, um, and again, I'm sure we'll probably touch on this a little bit more, just a little bit further down the line. But, you know, Arsenal need that depth maybe a little bit more in midfield this year than last year because of the fact that they're back in the Champions League. But um, I'm sure we'll cover that a little bit more uh, a little bit later on. Do you think, reflecting on his time at Arsenal, you know, I mentioned before him being booed off and throwing his captain's arm on the floor, do you think that, you know, he deserves credit for how he's turned this around at Arsenal, you know, and became, you know, I don't think he's in the, the the legend area, but he's certainly a player that will, you know, get a half-time clap on the pitch in a few years' time when he retires. He he definitely is viewed as a positive player for Arsenal. Yeah, and it's it's massive testament to his, his character, um, you know, and kind of the hard-working nature of him um, that, yeah, to do what he did, to be booed off, to chuck the captain's arm man on the ground, to, you know, I think he swore as well, didn't he? Um, as he was going off as well, he kind of, you know, not only to stick around for four years after, nearly four years after, what was it, November 2019, wasn't it? The, the kind of, I think it was the final days of, of Unor Emery, wasn't it? Um, but not only to stick around after that moment, but to then become a key part in the side and for the fans to, to kind of love him and embrace him. Uh, again, you know, that's all down to the hard work that, that Jack has put in, the graft that he's put in, how hard he's played for Arsenal, how much he's worked for Arsenal, um, how much of a key cog he's been in this transformation as well under Mikel Arteta back into a, back into a top, top side in English football. 
Um, and you're right, you know, he deserves a kind of a, a nice farewell, as you say, there, you know, being clapped off on the pitch at half time, as we've seen with other clubs um, do in the past. Um, and yeah, it, it, you know, we knew he was a strong willed character. You know, I mean, there was those quotes, whether or not they were real or not or otherwise, but the quotes when he first joined, you know, kind of about my mum used to trust me with the key or not as a kid, because, you know, that was such as was his mentality, such as his, um, you know, kind of his thought process, his leadership from, from a young age. Um, and even though he's not been the captain for Arsenal, he has still been a, a leading presence on the field for them under this transformation, in this transformation under Mikel Arteta. Um, and and again, yeah, you know, weaker players perhaps mentally would have would have struggled from that point on, not come back, and you never would have seen him play for Arsenal again. Um, so the fact that, as I said there, you know, Jack was such a crucial crucial player for Arsenal under Mikel Arteta, and especially last year as they nearly won the Premier League title, came so close to it. He was a really, really important part in that side last year. Um, speaks volumes about the mentality that he has and the kind of person that he has and the character that he's got. You look at, you know, Arsenal's midfield now uh, with Shaq leaving, Thomas Partey linked with a move away. Arsenal are beginning to look light in that department because I think they needed that added midfielder in irrespective of anyone leaving. So to me, that means they need to bring in at least another player to replace Granit Xhaka. But also on top of that, you know, we all watched the the Arsenal Amazon documentary. We saw how important the player Granite Xhaka was behind the scenes. I know he wasn't the captain, but he, he certainly had captain mentality. He was a he was a leader around that Arsenal team. And losing a player like him could also impact them in that sense that they they've now lost one of their you know probably one of the the, the best leaders in the Premier League over the last few years. I suppose that's the one good thing then about, you know, Declan Rice is that he is a leader as well coming into this squad. You know, he led West Ham, won the Europa League, uh, Europa Conference League with them, sorry. Um, so he's proven that he's a leader with West Ham as well and with England as well. You know, Declan Rice is a vocal presence uh, for club and country. So I suppose, you know, it will take time for him to adapt. And, you know, I'm not going to say that Declan Rice is going to go in first day and be exactly like Granite Xhaka shouting and screaming probably, um, you know, at his new teammates. He will take time to adjust and, and get used to him. Um, but he has that leadership in him. But you're right there in terms of actual physical, you know, numbers on the ground. Yeah, they are looking light in midfield. Um, and again, it goes back to what I was saying um, about the Champions League. Um, and I've said this time and again on this podcast, you know, it's a different beast to the Europa League. You can't play the kids on a Thursday night. You can't rest and rotate players. There'll be an expectation that you will be playing your first team as week in, week out. You know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. These guys have to be playing for Arsenal. So you look at that midfield and you kind of go, Odegaard, Declan Rice, you know, as you said there, Jack leaves, Party leaves, they've got Jorginho, you know, who else can come into that midfield for them? You know, yes, they've got other players that are capable of stepping in there. You know, Sinchenko could step in there for them uh, as a central midfielder, but then that means that you've got to play Kieran T and at left back. Does that leave you exposed there with injuries there? Um, you know, there's other players again, you know, Ben White's played defensive mid previously. Could he step into that for you? But then again, you know, you've got to have someone replacing him at right back. Um, yeah, it's it's a position that um, I'm surprised Arsenal are leaving them exposed in going back, you know, kind of, yes, you have to reassess. Yes, you have to reevaluate. Yes, you have to move your squad on. You know, why didn't Arsenal win the title last year? Okay, can we make it better? But at the same time, you have to make sure that you don't make yourself weaker and you kind of worry about Arsenal here. Are they putting themselves in a position? You know, I, I'm sure, you know, we're talking on the 7th of July here. There is plenty of time for Arsenal to go out and get more midfielders to pack out that midfield to add depth to that midfield um, but right now as we're talking about it yes it does look a, a slightly concerning area 
because of the added pressure of being back in the Champions League where you don't have that luxury, I say luxury, of, uh, of rotating players that you can do perhaps if you're in the Europa League instead. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, someone's even put it in there in the comments there just sort of going, um, you know, pointing to Fabio Vieira as well, but he didn't really have the best times last year. Mill Smith Rowe, is he more attacking rather than defending? Kai Havertz probably going to be used more as, a, as an attacker, I'd say, for Arsenal rather than as a, as a central midfielder, but has that capability as well. Um, and Yuri and Timber, I mean, again, you know, there was uh, our, our friends at, at Football London had a great interview the other week with a, with a Dutch football expert who suggested that Yuri and Timber had played in central mid before and like swapped around with his brother, who is a central midfielder, and then played for Dutch on the 21 side. There's options there, but outside of Jorginho, Depp and Rice, Erdegaard, you're asking players to drop into a position that they're perhaps not as familiar with, which could be a concern. Okay, we'll move on to some final, you know, quick transfer news and, and rumours, I suppose. Uh, Newcastle United, always keen to do a bit of business with all that money they have. They are targeting Benucci. Is there a need for Champions League experience in that squad? I mean, the one thing I would say, it's not a very deep squad at Newcastle. They, they seem to have a core of about 15 players that seem to play every week. And outside of that, you don't seem to see many different names. So do you think Newcastle A, need to add depth to the team, but also need to add depth that know how to play European football? It's a strange one, uh, this this. Uh, link because you know Benucci's coming towards the end of his career and it's not really what Newcastle been going for is it you know we could you know you look at the other players that they've signed there's no argument they need you know experience in that squad Champions League experience European experience full stop you know there's not many you know players in that squad um, that, that have that at the top top level you know kind of going the distance in, in big European competitions um, and obviously Benucci would add that but it's kind of the wages that he'd be on. Is he right? You know, he'd, he'd help develop the centre-halves again and he'd pass that on. Um, and he'd be good for them in that respect. But you kind of, you know, could Newcastle be better served by going out and getting a younger centre-half who has played in the Champions League? Yes, it would cost them a bit more money in terms of a transfer fee. Um, but, you know, that might be a better way to look at it. But they do need, I think they do need that European experience. You know, Nick Pope's only experience of European football is, you know, the qualifying rounds of the Europa League a few years back with Burnley. Um, you know, yes, Kieran Trippi has played in the Champions League final, um, but Callum Wilson, I think to the best of my knowledge, this is going to be his first European campaign. You know, there's there's players in this team throughout this team that will be playing European football for the first time. Dan Burnett, left back as well. Um, you know, Longstaff in midfield, uh, Joe Linton. You know, there's a lot of players that are not just going into their first ever Champions League campaign, but going into their first ever European campaign, you know, group stage of the European competition. Um, and I th- think they do need that you know they be, they need some sort of experience you know when you go away to these big European grounds and, and these big European away days um, you know kind of the processes that you go through on a match day how you gear yourself up from how you kind of get used to it you know and all these kind of things these these will be new experiences to the Newcastle team and a lot of the Newcastle team so if they have someone alongside them who has been there done it got the t-shirt and everything else that can only be a benefit for them, I think. But it's it's the fact that obviously Benucci is a little bit perhaps out of kilter with what their other transfer strategy appears to be in, in getting young players and kind of, you know, having them around for the next 10 years. And, you know, Benucci's 36. He doesn't necessarily fall in line with that, but that's not to say that it, it isn't a deal that they might pursue and, and that he could be a good. His benefit to the squad will be more his experience rather than his ability at this stage of his career. Yeah, probably looking at it as a, a cheap one or two year addition on the 
to add a little bit of depth and, and knowledge into that back line. Uh, Oriol Romeo back to Barcelona. I mean, this one, uh, double check, check the date, see if it was April Fools. A random, surprising move. You know, a player that we know quite well from his, his days at Southampton in the Premier League. It's certainly a, a decent defensive midfielder, but the replacement for Sergio Busquets, I, I don't know, it just seems a bit um, random. It's always every transfer window, there is always one completely left field um, move, decision, whatever, um, that kind of catches everyone off guard. And you kind of, as you said there, you have to double check and kind of make sure that you've not, you know, been out the night before, had too many to drink and you're still kind of feeling the effects of it. You're like, are you sure this is right? Are you sure this is correct? Um, the one thing I would say about Romeo is that he was in Barcelona's academy as a youngster when Xavi was there. Didn't play, I think he played one game, won the league game for the first team. Um, and then was moved on um, to what was it Sh- Chelsea was it yeah he joined Chelsea uh, as, a, as a youngster um, before kind of really making an impact at Barcelona but obviously Xavi was there at that time and maybe Xavi sees something that we don't maybe Xavi saw something back in those days as a as a young you know what would he have been at that time probably still a teenager I think you know as a young teenager coming through Xavi saw something and and kind of you know we've all missed it in the intervening years that, that you know can make Romeo a good player for Barcelona um, yeah, it is a surprising one. Um, but you know, they they did it you know previously as well when they had to go and get Albamian, and everyone was a little bit shocked with that one. It's like, really, are you, are you sure you want him? Um, you know, given the, the kind of fallout at Arsenal, um, you know, or when they signed Paulinho a few years back from the Chinese Super League after he'd failed to impress at Tottenham again, you're kind of scratching your head, going, are, are you sure about this one, lads? Uh, Barcelona have a track record of of putting slightly strange uh, rabbits from the hat um, and, and kind of surprising us all in a bad way, perhaps in a transfer window. And I think that this one maybe falls into that category. But like I said, who knows? You know, Jaffe was training alongside Oriol Romeo when he was a teenager and now he's the manager. So maybe he saw something back then that he, he kind of like, oh, you're fitting to how we're, we're going to do things now. And he likes the, the sound of the transfer fee and everything else involved in it. Yeah. One dimensional player was was how I remember him at Southampton, just a, a rock solid defensive presence in the team and maybe that's what Barcelona want you know they don't maybe want flashy they don't want anything beyond a player that's going to be disciplined and break up the play so maybe he could be the next Sergio Busquets but I don't see it Um, last one we're going to talk about West Ham linked with some midfield replacements for Declan Rice James Ward-Prowse you know, it's, a, it's an interesting name I think that do we see him playing in the championship for Southampton probably not Palinia Dennis Zakaria, who was at Chelsea last season. What do you make of these transfer links? Well, it's clear they're already planning for life after Declan Rice. We're just waiting for the uh, I's to be dotted, T's to be crossed when it comes to, to that transfer deal. But yeah, they're already planning for life without him um, and trying to spend some of that money already. These names, these players, um, you know, Pellini aside, I think we're probably looking at getting up towards 30 to 40 million is, is before Fulham even entertain any kind of offers. But Zakaria is looking at a loan for a fee of around 15 million to option to buy. James Ward-Prowse as well, you suspect you'd be able to get him below 20 million because obviously Southampton have gone down to the championship. You suspect a, a fairly low offer in the current market would be able to tempt him away from, from Southampton. So it's clear that West Ham aren't going to splurge every little bit of this. You know, they're almost going to kind of treat the Declan Rice money as, as Spurs did and maybe kind of look to, to utilise it rather than just on one player on kind of several players in that squad. But it's clear that midfield is obviously going to be a, an area that West Ham are going to look to 
strengthen because, of course, you know, losing a player of Declan Rice's quality, that's going to lose a lot of uh, quality from that position. Um, and, and you kind of want to replace it. Of course, it will be hard to replace him. Um, and the players that are looking at, you know, James Ward-Prowse isn't the same, necessarily same kind of mould as, as Declan Rice. Um, but his quality is well known. Zachariah, in terms of his height and build, he's probably a little bit more in line with Declan Rice, I'd say, in terms of what he can offer. But he's obviously not on that level and he, and he didn't get many chances to uh, impress at Chelsea last year either. Um, but yeah, it's clear that midfield is, is an area that West Ham are going to look to uh, strengthen this summer in because, of course, they're losing a the player of the quality of Declan Rice. Just last one, James Ward-Prowse. Are you surprised that he isn't being linked more with Premier League moves? I thought he would be a shoe-in to... You know, we talked about Arsenal before, for example, you know, they need to add midfield depth. Would he not be a logical player to bring in? As you say, the, the cost of the transfer probably wouldn't be that high because Southampton's been relegated. It just seems to me that teams are overlooking that this guy was the heartbeat of that Southampton team, brilliant at set pieces. You just add so much. It it seems surprising that he's not, well, he's still at Southampton and we're a weekend at July, but B isn't as heavily linked with a move elsewhere. Yes and no. Yes, in respect of he's a good quality player, but he turns 29 this year. So kind of, you know, would he would he be happy to take that bit part? Right? Look, I'm sure he'd happily move to Arsenal if they came in for him. But again, you know, Arsenal, yes, they need midfield depth. But just using them as a hypothetical example, they need midfield depth, of course. But would you be confident that James Ward-Prowse could step up to the Champions League level? You know, he's in and out of the England squad. Um I don't know. I have I have my reservations. I like him. I think he's a good player, and I wouldn't mind him at Spurs for squad bet. We've not got European football to worry about. You know, he does. He would be. He could be one of those that you know we see on if he's not moved by deadline day. That you know there are plenty of clubs circling again. You know, yeah. If there are clubs that are looking to add, you know, options to their midfield, as you said there, you know, it could be a, a cost-effective move. Um, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't move on. But I'm not surprised that he hasn't gone yet. <laughs> think for a player like him it's it's not necessarily again you know this sounds like I'm going to disparage him when I say it but like Leeds must but it's that thing of waiting for the right, right moment the clubs are wait, waiting for the right moment they're probably working on other targets and they might come back to James Ward-Prowse later in the window he might not be high up um, but I'd be surprised if he's still at Southampton on you know September 7th for example um, I think he'll definitely move but it's I think from everyone involved from the clubs that might be looking at him and from Mr. Walprouse himself, uh, patience is a virtue. Yeah, it could be also that Southampton are wanting to leave this one late so that Premier League teams maybe are panicking towards the end of the deadline and go, we'll go for James Walprouse, he's a safe pair of hands. Uh, so Ned, we're all out of time here. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks everyone for listening and thanks everyone for the, the viewer questions and comments as well. We enjoy reading them and please remember to subscribe, like, do whatever you need to do on your platforms and thanks everyone for listening. 